The battle over the EATS Act continues. We started this two-part series last week with Mary Thomas Hart, chief counsel with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is in support of the EATS Act. This week, we hear from the opposition. Marty Irby, the president of Competitive Market Action and board secretary at the Organization for Competitive Markets, tells us why he and his organizations are against the act. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Let's get into this week's Agnet Weekly. So I wanted to talk to you about the EATS Act, which you are opposed to, and I wanted to find out uh, why. And if you could start out for our listeners, tell me what the EATS Act is and why you are opposed to it. Well, yes. First, let me tell you that back in 2018, during the last Farm Bill, I ran the campaign to defeat a measure uh, known as the King Amendment. It was a almost identical bill that was led by former Congressman Steve King uh, that is now the current EATS Act. So I have about a five or six year history on this specific issue. It's really nothing new. It comes up uh, most every farm bill, and we've been successful in defeating it in the past. But the EATS Act, or Ending Agriculture Trade Suppression, as it's so-called, H.R. 4417 in the U.S. House, led by Congresswoman Ashley Henson from Iowa, and S. 2019 in the U.S. Senate, led by Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas, uh, is really a huge threat to independent family farmers. It's a giveaway to China and a giveaway to industrial agriculture from our view and the farmers and producers that we have at the Organization for Competitive Markets and Competitive Markets Action. Uh, We have pork producers, beef producers, egg producers, and dairy producers, and poultry producers, and all of these sectors in our membership are against this measure because It is so broad and so overreaching that it would nullify countless state laws related to agriculture, especially in the sustainable agriculture space and areas like organics where we have seen new markets emerge. Um, I don't know if the intent has always been to make it that broad and they just never narrowed it because it's written the same way that it was when Steve King led the bill, but it's something that would really be detrimental. To give you one example, Uh, Even the state laws in Kentucky that make Kentucky bourbon bourbon would potentially be nullified. The same with Indiana rye. That is an agriculture product that we see. It's handled by agriculture uh, legislative aides on Capitol Hill. So that was a big point of contention during the last farm bill about this specific issue. But what they're trying to do is ultimately nullify a state ballot measure that the state of California passed by the will of the voters in a general election in 2018. Proposition 12, that would basically prohibit the sale of certain types of pork in the state of California. Uh, I think one of the things that's interesting that most people don't realize is, first and foremost, the Proposition 12 law has just gone into effect even five years after it's been enacted because it went through the courts all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, by a majority of conservatives, upheld the measure. The decision was written by Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, and Clarence Thomas all voted with us to uphold that measure in a a total vote of five to four. So, you know, it's something that's not uh, a liberal issue as some of the proponents of the bill have painted it. Um, The EATS Act would nullify that ballot measure, and that ballot measure actually only applies to whole cuts of pork like ham, pork chops and whatnot. It would not apply to processed products like hot dogs or sliced ham and things like that that are prepackaged and shipped into the state. So it doesn't actually cover all of the pork in the state of California, and it's only one market in the country. Um, I know the arguments on the other side of this issue 
But we believe that no matter what you think about the California law, it's not worth throwing away our entire constitution and states' rights over one state ballot measure. That was something that was voted on by the people in a general election. And overturning an election of any kind isn't something that we believe the federal government should be doing, especially in the times that we're living in and the discussion that we are having more broadly politically on both sides of the aisle. There was a lot to unpack there, so I'm just trying to figure out which way to... Sorry, yes, I know, it was a lot. <laughs> so I want to start out with, with the idea about how how this could be harmful to smaller farmers, um, because that's, you know, that's a huge part of, part of our listenership, our family farms. So how would the EATS Act, in your view, um, affect family farms? Well, I'll give you a really good example. There's a producer in the state of Pennsylvania, which is the home state of agriculture, House Committee Chairman Glenn Thompson called Clemens Food Group. They have been around for a long time. They are independent. They have a lot of people that are different producers. They're a lot like Nyman Ranch uh, in that regard, who is also against the Eats Act as well. And they have spent millions of dollars reworking their entire operation and outfit since 2018, since that was enacted to be able to sell in California. So if the Eats Act were passed and enacted, then it would basically put those type of producers out of business or at least cost them millions of dollars because all of the work that they've done to rework their outfits would have been for nothing. And they have operated under good faith, under the law that was enacted, that was set and has started or has begun implementation. So that's just one example, but there are countless others. I know a lot of folks in the dairy sector have a lot of issues with this. Uh, the chair of the National Dairy Producers Organization, Deborah Mills, who's based in Minnesota, has written about this and talked about it a lot because there are so many state dairy laws across the country um, that are similar to this that would basically be upended because this legislation and the language has been written so broadly. One of the things that, when I spoke with the representative from NCBA, um, that was mentioned, and I, well, I asked specifically about Prop 12, it's about pork, it doesn't affect beef, why does NCBA uh, feel that they have a stake? And she said that uh, because Prop 12 is a slippery slope that could lead to, um, you know, other actions that would affect other areas of agriculture. Um, and they feel that the EADS Act would help take care of that. What, how, how do you rebuke that? Well, I think NCBA's argument to everything is the slippery slope argument, quite frankly. I've heard it about horse slaughter. I've heard it about this particular issue. I've heard it about the Opportunities for Fairness and Farming Act. So that seems to be the only answer they generally have when you talk about these type issues. But at the end of the day, this is something that only applies to pork. The law that was enacted only applies to pork. The EAT Act that has been proposed applies to every commodity sector across the country in every space. So if there's a slippery slope, it's the EADS Act that does far more than what Proposition 12 does handling one specific area in one state, and for that matter, not even all of the pork in that state. I think another thing that uh, NCBA and other proponents of the bill have conveyed that's been inaccurate is that this also doesn't apply to farrowing crates. So the law, the Proposition 12, applies to gestation crates, which is only the time where the sow is pregnant before she has her piglets and she's confined and can't move, can't turn around. Uh, farrowing crates are used after the piglets are born because I know we've heard a lot of the arguments about piglets being killed, stepped on, eaten by the mother, whatnot. So this actually would not apply to those farrowing crates where they are utilized after the pigs have been born. And then I wanted to ask about, you mentioned foreign governments or foreign um, entities and how they could actually benefit from the EATS Act. Can you explain that a little bit more? 
Yes. Well, it was very clear. China Weekly actually published an article talking about how much they supported the Henson Marshall Eats Act and how much it helped Chinese pork producers. Most people don't realize that the Chinese own 100% of Smithfield. Smithfield is obviously the largest pork producer in the world, and they own roughly one out of every five or one out of every six pigs in the United States of America. So we're producing a lot of this pork to go to China. And we're seeing a lot of these 26-story hog hotels, as I call them, pop up across the landscape in China. And they are terrible not only for animals and the environment, but also for public health and safety as well. So we don't want to see those type of operations pop up around in the United States because the laws that would be nullified by the EATS Act in many instances are laws that would prevent certain types of structures like those operations that are in China, the 26-story hog hotels, from being built in states in the United States. And we believe that the Chinese would easily be able to put those across the American landscape if eats were enacted. It's such a complex issue, and there are so many sides to this, or you know, so many facets, I guess you could say, to this. Another thought was that, with speaking about Prop 12 again, that larger companies like Smithfield um, would have the resources to be able to comply to Prop 12, whereas smaller farms would not necessarily have the resources to be able to comply. So the EATS Act then would be helping the smaller farms because they would not have to comply with something like Prop 12. Um, do you have a response to that? Well, I think it's just quite the reverse. I mean, Clemens Food Group is a primary example. Nyman Ranch is another example. And I don't think that we're going to see Smithfield go in there and refit their operations. That's why they're fighting this. We have not heard from one independent producer of pork that was in support of the EATS Act that said exactly what you just said. And then there's also the thought that the EATS Act, if it's not passed you know, on its own, that it could become part of the farm bill. What do you think that that would do? Well, no, I think that's what the whole battle is about. I don't think the EATS Act stands a 1% chance of passing as a standalone bill, primarily because any bill that you have to pass in Congress now almost has to have 100, 100 senators in support of it to get it through, and there are at least 30 or 40 that already oppose it, so we wouldn't see that happen. The farm bill is the play. That's why they brought it up in 2013. That's why they brought it up in 2018 with Steve King, and that's why they're bringing it up now, because it is the vehicle that's moving through, hopefully, this Congress. I have my doubts, because even though the Farm Bill expires September 30th, they are almost certainly going to extend it to December or on into 2024, because we haven't even seen the text of a Farm Bill yet, and that's, what, five weeks away that it expires so there's no possibility, especially with the Congress in recess from now until the first week or so of September, that they could get something done. So that is the entire play. And I think if EAT stands any chance at all, the only way that it could possibly get done would be in the Farm Bill. But the good thing is, from our view, is that we have had over, I'd say, 150, maybe 175 meetings so far in the past two months on this issue. And we've seen overwhelming opposition to the EATS Act from both sides of the aisle, almost 100% of the Democrats, and then I'd say probably 70% of the Republicans that we've talked to are opposed to it. And even Senator Roger Marshall, who leads the bill in the U.S. Senate, this is something I've never seen before. He went on RFDTV right after our fly-in in July where we had folks here, and he literally said, we're getting the heck beat out of us talking about him and his team on the EATS Act. So I've never seen a member of Congress do that. I think they have an uphill battle. And I think at least as of today, we are winning this war against independent family farmers.
And that was the next thing that I was going to bring up is that you've gained quite a bit of support in your opposition, or in the opposition, I should say. Opposition to the EADS Act has gained quite a bit of legislative support. And do you see that growing even more? We do. I'm actually in the U.S. Senate right now. We had a letter that was sent on Monday with 171 bipartisan members of the House to the Ag Committee leaders uh, against the EADS Act being included in the upcoming Farm Bill. Uh, we're here today and the rest of this week working on a Senate letter. I think we'll get 40 to 50 senators that end up signing on. It's already bipartisan as well. And then we're probably going to see some more individual letters from members of Congress as well. So as of now, it's very easily said that at least about 60% of the Congress is against the EADS Act. And I don't see how you can pass something when the majority of the Congress is against it. As we wrap up, what would you say you know, are the most important things for our listeners to know about the EADS Act? Well, I think the most important things are really related to states' rights, because this, we'll, we'll talk about a slippery slope like NCBA did. Amy Coney Barrett, who was a part of the decision in the Supreme Court, even said that this could open the door to the nullification of state abortion laws. That's a huge issue right, right out there now in front of everyone um, and something to consider. So if we want to protect our state's rights on any level, whether it's the agriculture space or anything else, we need to prevent the EATS Act from opening the door to be able to wipe out state's rights, state ballot measures, and the will of state legislators across all 50 states. Great. Is there anything that you feel like that I've, I've missed or any other points that you think that we should make? I think the only other thing is one of the most interesting things, Harvard Law did a uh, report here a few weeks ago about this and how many laws it overturned. And one of the things that was interesting was that they said it would overturn all of the kosher laws in the country. So uh, there was a great piece in the Times of Israel about this. And with all of the people who are talking about anti-Semitism today, I think that's something to at least pay attention to and really note because that is very important from a religious perspective in any religion in the United States where we have religious freedoms, and this would actually wipe out those kosher laws. Thank you again to Marty Irby, President of Competitive Market Action and Board Secretary at the Organization for Competitive Markets. If you want to read the full story with both sides, you can find that on our websites, southeastagnet.com and agnetwest.com. That's this week's Agnet Weekly. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thank you for tuning in.